The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 179. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be back on the program. And I'm actually doing, hopefully this is the start of something great where I'm going back to two podcasts a week. So here we are. In the same week, you got me twice. And if you got the Abbeville Institute podcast, which runs every Saturday at abbevilleinstitute.org, you can also subscribe to that through iTunes as well. You got me three times a week. So that one's all things Southern. Uh, but um, these, uh, these, I'm going back to my twice-a-week schedule. I really want to do this, and it's a lot of fun for me. So don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page, at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, subscribe to my YouTube page, at Brian McClanahan. Also, go to brianmcclanahan.com, give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook and audiobook, Forgotten Founders. And get some Brian McClanahan gear at redbubble.com. You got all the, my cool logo. I mean, I'm really proud of this thing. I go out there and, and support the Brian McClanahan show that way. Uh, and when you do like my material, if you like the podcast, leave me a review at iTunes. The more, the better. Um, I see there's a lot of great reviews, and I appreciate every single one of those. But again, more reviews means the podcast gets bumped up the list, so more people are going to see it. And share this podcast around. Share my material around. Uh, that's how we can help grow the audience and uh, uh, get more people involved in discussing these ideas from an originalist perspective. Think locally, act locally, all these things that... Uh, that I like to talk about. So I appreciate everyone who listens to the show. And, um, you know, if you do have any uh, comments or questions or suggestions for the show, always send them my way. I do see these things and uh, I, I do try to respond to them. I get a lot of stuff. So it's hard for me all the time to respond, uh, but I do try to do it. Um, and so please keep that up. Now, I want to talk about uh, this for the second podcast this week. The bizarre attack on the Electoral College. And I say bizarre because it is bizarre. And I'm actually going to reference a piece that appeared at Think Progress uh, on uh, December 20th, uh, 2016. And it's written by Ian uh, Milheiser, the, the resident sniveler at Think Progress that uh, is just a... I mean, if there's anybody that's, that's a hysterical person, it's Ian Milheiser. Uh, if you want to just go on out there and just have a good laugh every time he tweets something, go follow Ian Milheiser on Twitter. It's just absolutely hilarious. If you're not following me on Twitter, you should be doing that. But if you just want a good laugh, and I follow a lot of people on Twitter that I think are just completely stupid just for the laughs, and Milheiser is one of those. Um, so it's always fun to do that. But uh, this piece is just complete hysteria. And uh, there's a part of it, though, that I want to to get into uh, about this uh, about about the Constitution, the Electoral College, uh, but I want to I want to read the first part just for a good laugh. I want to read the first part of this piece because it's so funny. So this is after Trump's election. He writes this in December of 2016. Remember, everybody's going crazy. The left is just going bananas because they lost and they can't. The smartest person in the world lost. They can't they can't believe it. And uh, it's not just Milheiser. It's also people like uh, Alexandria or uh, Ocasio-Cortez who's out there running around saying that the, uh, the Electoral College is, is, is about slavery. And uh, Michael Moore is calling it the racist clause. He did this in 2016, just did it a, a few weeks ago. And, and that started with uh, not Milheiser, but Milheiser was, you know, in this process of doing this. But it was a historian, a legal historian named Amar, who wrote uh, a book on the Constitution, where he makes this. He tries to connect the dots here. 
And it seems like Amar, Akil Amar, just pumps out all these books on the, like, once, one a year, right, on the Constitution. And it's all just progressive nonsense. Living Constitution, stupidity. Uh, and one of the things that um, he, he does in, in one of his books, I, I I, it's at least one of his books, he might have done it in others, he says that, the, that James Madison, a speech that James Madison made during the discussion of the Electoral College proves conclusively that the three-fifths compromise was about slavery. I'm sorry, not three-fifths compromise. Of course, that was about slavery. But the Electoral College was about slavery. And I'm going to get into this in a second because it's just a, it's a complete stu- stupid position. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. I know I use the word stupid, but these people really are stupid. Hysterical stupid. So let me start with Mildheiser's hysteresy, uh, hysteric, uh, hysteric uh, 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 position here. But this is what he says, quote, What kind of nation allows the loser of a national election to become president and then does it again 16 years later? What kind of nation retains an electoral process that was originally designed to inflate the influence of slaveholders? What kind of nation permits its Congress to write a time bomb into law that periodically forces rival factions into a game of chicken that could wreck the world economy? Americans speak of our Constitution as it were a religious text. To label a law unconstitutional is not simply a law, say that a law it violates some procedural rule or legal technicality. It is to label it fundamentally un-American. To do so is to question the values of any lawmaker, despicable enough to support such a law, and to suggest that those values were at odds with who we are as a nation. Now our country is facing a man of superlative ignorance, a racist, an admitted sexual assaulter of women, a man poised to violate the Constitution the very instant he takes the oath of office, a man who openly encourages uh, Russia's efforts to usher him into the White House, a man who owes his election to the underhanded efforts of deep state actors within our nation's internal police agency, a man who lost the popular vote by nearly 3 million votes, and the Constitution has placed this man in the White House. I mean, think about the, hysteris- the hysterical nature of what this is. What it took. Imagine being this guy. What it took to write this. Imagine being these people. They wake up every day, and this is what they think. That's a great burden. I don't, I mean, it's just a great burden. Um, but he gets into the Electoral College here. So, so let me get into this, because this is the part of the, of the piece. It's just so stupid. So stupid. Uh, you can't even make this stuff up. And yet these people believe it. They believe it. They fundamentally believe it. They walk around every day of their lives believing that somehow the Electoral College was created to inflate the influence of slaveholders. Uh, it's just, it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. So he starts with this. There's a subtitle, The Price of Peace. There are competing theories for why America has an electoral college. Hmm. There are, well, I didn't know that, but uh, he's going to tell me. One offered by Alexander Hamilton in an advocacy document written to persuade the nation to support its new constitution is that it would allow men most capable of analyzing the qualities adapted to the presidency to determine who should hold that crucial job. Now, first of all, let's just break that down for a second. Offered by Alexander Hamilton in an advocacy document written to persuade the nation. No. He wrote it in the Federalist Essays to persuade New York. Not to persuade the nation. To persuade New York. And it really didn't even work because New York only ratified the document by three votes. So people really didn't believe the Federalist Essays that much. 
Uh, in fact, uh, you can point to other documents that were much more persuasive than the Federalist Essays and, and, and throughout the states themselves than Alexander Hamilton and the Federalist Essays. So Milhiser is just a complete historical nut, a complete historical ignoramus. But that's okay because he just shows it in the next part. Another theory, which Hamilton did not include in his sales pitch for the Constitution, is that the Electoral College was part of the price Northerners had to pay in order to form a more a union with states whose entire economic model depended on slavery. Another theory. Yeah, the theory inside Milheiser's head, or Amar's head. And there's no evidence of this. It's, it's an ahistorical lie. There's not one bit of evidence. This is just something they made up, made up, to somehow create the narrative that the Electoral College is all about slavery. So let's get into the Electoral College. Do they even have a leg to stand on here? And there's a wonderful essay that Kevin Goodsman wrote for Chronicles Magazine back in 2017, where he does a very detailed discussion of going through it. And I'm not going to go through that detail. Do you want to read that particular article? It's very good. I also discuss this in my McClanahan Academy class. Um, so let's talk about this Electoral College. First and foremost, the individuals who were most for the Electoral College were not in the South. No, they were in the North. Now, Hamilton's argument that uh, the Electoral College would allow, allow for, quote, men most capable of analyzing the qualities adapted to the presidency. In other words, an anti-democratic position. I can buy that. If the, if the progs want to sit here and criticize the Electoral College for being anti-democratic, have at it. Because, yes, the popular vote doesn't matter. It, doesn't, it never has mattered. It doesn't matter today. It didn't matter in 1788. It doesn't matter. And thankfully so. The price of the Constitution was ensuring that the states were represented in the government and that had the states had complete control over it. And last time I checked, even in 1788, there were more northern states than southern states. More northern states than southern states. Uh, there were more states that uh, did not have slavery, ultimately, or there would be free states, or that were in the process of abolishing the institution, than were hardly determined to maintain it in 1788. So, uh, Hamilton was saying here that the Constitution, the Electoral College is anti-democratic, and, and it is. The point of the, of the Electoral College is not to win the most votes, it's to win the most states. Now, generally, if you win the most votes, you're going to win the most states, but that doesn't always work that way. We've had this happen several times. Not just in 2000, not just in 2016. It's happened other times as well. And when you look at the process by which uh, if the president doesn't get a, a uh, majority of the Electoral College votes, then the process is thrown to the House of Representatives where the states vote. Not the, not the members of the House, but the states themselves. So every state gets one vote. That is showing that the states were interested in maintaining the state control of the Electoral College. So, that said, it is anti-democratic. But this theory that somehow it's all about slavery, let's look at, let's go back and just kind of talk about the history a little bit. First and foremost, the people that did propose to have the uh, president elected by the uh, people directly, James Wilson from Pennsylvania talked about that. So did Governor Morris. But at the end of the day, 
both Morris and Wilson, particularly Wilson, were fine with the Electoral College. They thought it was a fine compromise because the proposal then came that, no, no, we can't do that. We don't want, because the people aren't, aren't going to be wise enough to do this. We need to keep the states in the loop. The states will be better at doing this. And remember, Madison's plan, his Virginia plan, would have had the executive elected by the upper house, what became the Senate. So, which was not even elected. That was elected by essentially the same way the House would have been elected if Madison's Virginia plan had been uh, had been adopted. And so, where is the influence of slavery there? It's not there. Um, so, okay. Uh, that 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 aside, uh, the the proposal started coming out of the North to have something different. And uh, the first people to propose that were Elbridge Gary of Massachusetts and Oliver Ellsworth of Connecticut. In fact, it was Connecticut, it was Ellsworth of Connecticut who motioned to have something that resembled the Electoral College uh, in the Philadelphia Convention. It was Ellsworth from Connecticut who came up with this. Last time I checked, Oliver Ellsworth was not an ardent pro-slavery ideologue. And if you look at the vote, the Deep South voted against it. This was not a compromise between North and South. This was the North showing its muscle and pushing for this particular process. Some other way of electing the president other than popular vote. Now, it didn't mean that Southerners wanted popular vote either because they weren't really that interested in the popular vote. But they weren't so certain they liked Ellsworth's idea of the Electoral College. Uh, and in fact, uh, the original plan would have had the legislatures choose, the state legislatures choose the electors, just like the state legislatures were going to choose the uh, United States senators. Now again, where does slavery factor into that? I mean, the states are represented here. If you want to complain that the states have too much power, which, of course, Milheiser does in pure hysterical format, uh, that the states, the states, hey, how can we have uh, uh, states that don't represent anybody with the same power as states that represent people? This is uh, this is the common progressive argument. You know, how can California only have two senators when Delaware has two senators? Um, last time I checked, Delaware senators are right in line with California. I mean, <laughs> I don't think Delaware is deviating from that, or or you know, Rhode Island. I mean, looking at the Brett Kavanaugh fiasco, Coons from Delaware was right there in the thick of it with the Democrats. I mean, so you want that guy, don't you? I mean, if you're a progressive, don't you want Coons? The bald wonder? Don't you want him out there? Well, I mean, it seems like it. That's your guy. He's right there with Camilla Harris. That's their guy. Uh, so I'm not so I'm not certain why you would even bring up Delaware. Uh yeah, that, that makes no sense. Of course, sometimes I bring up North Dakota or Wyoming. Wyoming's a good one. They, that's a popular one. But even Wyoming has voted for Democratic senators before. Um, so you know, um, the fact is that these states often will have you know mixed delegations. Now, not Delaware. Delaware is generally uh, you know becoming more like New England every single day of the week because of all the New Yorkers and Pennsylvanians moving into it. Um, and they think very much like New England on a lot of things. So, uh, but that, but that's beside the point. Um, Milheiser's hysterical here. So you got Ellsworth of Connecticut and Gary of Connecticut 
I'm sorry, Gary of Massachusetts really pushing for this electoral college. And then, and then eventually, uh, later on in the convention, the, the final plan actually is John Dickinson's of Delaware. Now, Dickinson was a slave owner. No question about it. Dickinson was a slave owner. He was a Quaker. And um, he had a plantation there in Delaware. Um, but Dickinson was a moderate, in fact, someone who wasn't really pro-slavery. He just had the institution. This is what he inherited it. Um, he wasn't, he, he was troubled with it. Um, and I think Dickinson is one of the more interesting characters in the founding generation. But the final proposal was, uh, at Dickinson's insistence, Madison scribbled this thing out, and, El- and uh, uh, Governor Morris was also responsible for it uh, to an extent. But that's, that's the system we have. The Electoral College, again, was designed to ensure that the states would say a part of this government, even for the elective, uh, for the executive branch. Now, Dickinson made the, one of the more famous speeches during the uh, Philadelphia Convention when he stood up and they were discussing uh, some of the uh, innovations that were taking place. And uh, he stood up and said, look, experience must be our only guide. Reason may mislead us. He was very critical of policies or proposals that were innovations that weren't based on any type of American tradition. Um, and there was kind of an electoral college system, you know, in these indirect election of the executive. I believe Maryland, uh, Maryland had something like that here in the late 18th century, but um, there were some discussions about uh, the indirect method for electing the executive. Did it just need to come from the people at large, or were, did we need to have some type of indirect method? And in this particular case, again, the states are going to be central. Now, if you want to say because of the three-fifths compromise, some of these states had more authority in the Constitution, or in this Electoral College, than they would have without that. Okay. But the three-fifths compromise no longer exists. So how can you criticize the, three, the Electoral College as a vestige of slavery when slavery hasn't existed in the United States since 1865? This is how shallow and stupid these people actually are. What they're really worried about is that the Electoral College works against their preferred method of election, which is popular vote, uh, you know, direct popular vote, because they know that if that's the case, they will never lose an election. With the current demographics in the United States and just looking at how Hillary Clinton did, in the 2016 election, the Democrats would never lose an election if we just voted by popular vote. From here on out, from here to eternity, the Democrats would never lose an election. So that's why the Electoral College is so problematic and why people like Milheiser are just hysterical about the Electoral College. And so he continues, regardless of what theory you prefer, well, there's only one that even makes sense out of those two. There's only one that's even historical. It is undeniable that the Electoral College now serves the second goal of giving a leg up to racists far better than it serves the first. In 2016, the electors themselves are almost entirely obscurities. Party activists who are typically selected more for their willingness to cast a vote for their party's candidate than for their ability to analyze the qualities best adapted to the presidency. Even if they wanted to select someone other than Donald Trump as the president, they lacked the stature necessary to quell unrest that would likely ensure. 
Right, so what's what he's getting he's getting into here? The electors are basically tied. They're bound to vote for whoever wins the the popular vote of that particular state. And that's done by law. And if you don't do that, you can be fined, um, which I don't think has really ever happened. Um, these people are obscure. They were obscure back in 1788. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Uh, then he continues, What the Electoral College has done is steal the presidency from the woman who won it and given it to a man who openly campaigned on racism and nativism. It's the sort of outcome that would make many of the founding fathers smile, the ones who demanded a terrible price as the cost of the I mean, this is just... This is hysterical trash. Then he continues. This is where it gets really funny. There, were, there, To be sure, there were good men at the Philadelphia Convention that drafted the original Constitution. There were men who, as Governor Morris said in a speech of the Convention, saw slavery as an forest institution, the curse of heaven on the states where it prevailed. Now, wait a second here. Oh, then he continues, there were also delegates from large states who stood for the very simple proposition that a vote from Virginia should, should count exactly the same as a vote from Delaware. So he's saying those people are, are evil people. But he brings up Governor Morris as a good man. Governor Morris, the guy that helped draft the Electoral College that he says is terrible. Governor Morris, the rake the guy that had a wooden peg leg because he was a philanderer and he jumped out of a window with a, when he was cheating on a man's wife and, and wrecked his leg so bad that he had to get it cut off. Yeah, that guy. Good guy there, uh, old Ian Milheiser. Yet these good men traded away their convictions. The new Constitution explicitly protected slavery. It allowed slave states to count each slave as three-fifths of a person for purposes of calculating representation in the House and the Electoral College even though those slaves could not vote. See, this is where they get into um, the three-fifths in the Electoral College because you had, uh, let's say a state had uh, nine Electoral College votes and they were a slave state. Well, some of those, they wouldn't have had all those Electoral College votes if it wasn't for the three-fifths compromise. And it created a Senate, an anti-democratic body, which today counts each person in Wyoming 67 times more important than each person in California. It's because the, the Constitution had to keep the states in the process, not the people. I mean, again, these people just don't under, can't even get out of their own way. They're just so completely ignorant about anything. Uh, and Milheiser is supposed to be this great legal mind, this great progressive legal mind, this great uh, attorney. Um, he's dumb as a bag of rocks. The good men in Philadelphia agreed to these terms in service of a singular goal, peace through union. As Yale's Akil Amar explains, the Articles of Confederation, the loose alliance of states that preceded, predated the Constitution, conceived of the United States as, quote, an alliance of multilateral treaty of sovereign, sovereign nation states. Pennsylvania was as much a separate a sovereign nation from Virginia as Russia is today from China. The Articles largely bound these nations into a pact of mutual commerce and defense. Nevertheless, the framers were well-versed in European history. They knew of the frequent warfare which plagued that continent, and they came to see the Union as the best defense against a similar fate. Wait a second here. Uh, we had a Union before that. The Articles of Confederation did have a Union. Um, last time I checked, that's what the document created. 
As Amar describes the concerns, quote, each nation state might well raise an army, ostensibly to protect itself against Indians or Europeans, but also perhaps to awe its neighbors. America would then recreate continental Europe, borders, armies, dictators, chains, and all. This, again, is just hysterical nonsense. Um, now, it's funny, it's, it's funny to me how these people get away with saying idiotic things like Milheiser does, and they never get called out for it. They're seen as great legal minds, great scholars, and yet he has no clue about the ratification debates, about the Philadelphia Convention itself and what was said there. He just relies on Amar, who also has no clue. As Kevin Goodsman pointed out in his piece for Chronicles, uh, when Madison made this discussion, and he talked about uh, the fact that northern states would have more votes because the South had slaves, uh, he was also referring, the part before that was more important, where he said, look, I mean, here's the issue. Northern states have larger suffrage than the southern states, so therefore you're going to have uh, the northern states be better represented. You're going to have better people in the north than we have in the south because of property qualifications and other things. The, the, the comment about slavery was a throwaway line. Uh, and I think Goodsman, of anybody, because he's written a good biography on Madison, would know this about, about James Madison. But this is the world in which we live in 2018, where you can make an accusation, run with it. Michael Moore can say this. Uh, Casio Cortez can make accusations and run with this. Ian Milheiser can make it. And people just nod, oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. And I bet you there are some historians out there, oh, yeah, 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 this is true. Because they've never read the original, they've never read Eliot's debates, they've never read the original, <laughs> anything from originalism. They've never read any of the stuff that will be important to defend their positions. Because if they did, they wouldn't say these things. It would blow their positions completely out of the water. They wouldn't be able to make these claims. But yet, Oh, yeah, 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 Amari, uh, he's great, great guy, great, great uh, constitutional scholar. It's just sad. It's just sad. So, when you think about the Electoral College, don't think about Ian Milheiser. Think about the Northerners who wrote that document. Somebody brings this up, if you feel comfortable enough, say, wait a second here. Southerners actually rejected the Electoral College in Philadelphia. Northerners were the ones who proposed it. They were the most behind it. Uh, James Madison's line, if they know anything about Madison, they bring that up and say, yeah, I mean, that, he said that. But uh, the, the problem was that he recognized that northern states had uh, perhaps more people voting. So the southern states were going to get outvoted. I mean, it, it was a real concern. Um, but the Electoral College came down to keeping the states within the sphere of government, to keep them in the union, to keep them in the decision-making process um, and, and not harm that, uh, that alliance. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. hope you enjoyed my discussion of the Electoral College. Again, if you take McClanahan Academy, I get into this in more detail. Uh, it's well worth your time to get it, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>